And thank you to Sean for playing a song that was making me cry before I came on out here today. Am I the only one? Anybody else? God is good. We needed that song today. When I look out at this group of people, so many of us going through different stuff, difficult times, sickness, sadness, heartbreak, and yet here we are. You showed up here, you found a parking spot, and we're going to be healed by Jesus today during this time. Praise God. We're going to be healed today. And we've got lots of stuff to celebrate, yes? Amen? So let's celebrate. We are in part two of a four-part series that we are calling Leap, and this is about taking a leap of faith. And last week I told you that some people have this misconception about leaping, taking these leaps of faith that it's just kind of a whim thing, just kind of let's go for it kind of thing. We'll just do this jump and we'll see how it all works out. Well, that's not a leap of faith. That's just doing something spontaneous and crazy. A leap of faith requires preparation. It requires preparation. It requires, above all else, prayer and then planning, and then prayer, and then some more planning, and some more prayer. And then you finally get to a point where it's just you got to go. You've done the praying, you've done the planning, and it's time to take that leap. And so if you're looking for a way to define what, it, what a leap of faith is, you kind of have a sense of what it isn't. But here's what it is. It's putting yourself in a position where if God doesn't show up, it's not going to work. That's a leap of faith. If God doesn't show up, it's not going to work. You take the jump, and you're going to fall unless God is there to catch you. And we are about to take this big leap of faith together as a church. Now, once upon a time, I was a student at Philadelphia Biblical University. And uh, at that college, listen, I don't want to brag or anything, but uh, we took a course called Case Studies in Leadership. And yeah, I got an A. I got an A. No big deal. I got a C in preaching, but I got an A in that. <laughs> Nobody's ever surprised when I say I got a C in preaching. Anyway, it's my only C I'm not bitter about. Let's move on. I got an A in Case Studies in Leadership. And uh, the reason that I got an A, and this, let me just share this secret with you, is I figured out the answer to every question, okay? Our professor would ask us the same question. So the case studies thing is we'd, we'd break out a scenario. Here's a scenario. Here's something that's going on in your church. How would you handle it? Here's a scenario. Something's going on in your church. And the question was always this. What's the first thing you would do? What's the first thing you would do? And so they'd lay out a scenario, and I, I figured out pretty quickly that it was the same answer. Every single question was the same answer. And so they'd lay out a scenario, okay, you've got a leader in your church, and you're the pastor, and the leader's causing some, some problems with one of your members, and there's been some fighting or some bullying, there's accusations flying. What's the first thing you would do? See, you guys know. A student, A student, it's all over the place here, right? And so the students would raise their hand, but listen, we're trying to be smart, we're trying to show all the stuff that we've learned and how we're fearless and we're going to take on. So we'd raise our hands and somebody said, well, what you want to do is you want to sit the people down. That's the first thing I would do is sit them both down together. And somebody else said, no, 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 that's not what you do. First, you sit with your leader and you have a one-on-one conversation. And so everybody raised their hand and I just wait. Raise my hand. What's the first thing you would do, Josh? Pray. Pray. So another scenario would be broken out, okay, you've got a couple in the church and they're having, and they've been separated for a while and they're talking about divorce and the, woman, the husband wants to get divorced and the wife doesn't. What do you do? Oh, that's a messy situation. They raise your hand. Well, here's what you do. I'd meet with the husband first and I'd do this. No, I'd meet with the wife first. No, I'd meet with them as a couple and I'd just wait. I'd just wait. I'd raise my hand. Pray. <laughs> now, I'm really glad she never asked, well, what's the second thing you would do, Josh? Because I have no idea. But the first thing I got, first thing is pray, and eventually it kind of became a joke in the class. Everybody would just say, what's the first thing you do? Pray. We'd all say it together, because that's important, prayer. And it was easy for me in that theoretical setting to know the right answer to that question. What's the first thing you do? Pray. But in real life, 
it can be more challenging to remember. That's the first thing that we should do. If you've spent enough time in a church setting, if you've spent enough time following Jesus, you've heard about the importance of prayer. It's talked about, and it really is power. There's power in prayer. It's a powerful thing to be able to commune with God, to have a relationship with God, and to build into that, to speak with Him, and to lay your prayer requests before God. It's a powerful thing. But so often in the heat of intense situations, we can forget how powerful prayer is and how important prayer is. And sometimes we feel like there are some situations where it's like, well, all I can do is pray. Well, that's great. That's a great and powerful thing to do, but it can be difficult to remember that. Isn't it difficult sometimes to remember to pray? I want to give you the history before we, we talk about what's next for our church, before we talk about you know, our future. I want to give you the history of where we've come from. And I'll tell you this much, as, as the pastor and as the leader of this church, there have been some things that I've done in the past that I look back and I'd say, yeah, you know what, that was the right call. And there's also some stuff I look back when I'd say, well, I made some mistakes along the way, right? Because that's life. Same for you, isn't it? When you look over your life, you say, oh, I've made some mistakes along the way. But some things I did right. And so I want to tell you the history of how we got to this place. Uh, back in the day, once upon a time, I worked for a church called Bethlehem Church. It was out in Thornton. You guys know where Thornton is? You guys know where Thornton is. Anybody else know where Thornton is? Glen Mills area? Right, right. I would just say Glen Mills because most people know Thornton. Anyway, so it was out there. And that is Delaware County, right? That's Delaware County out there. We're in Delco here, but that's, that's Del- you know, there's a difference. There's a difference, right? And if you're from Delco, you know the difference. Anyway, so I was working out there. I was on the pastoral staff, and that church made a real big pish. A pish? What's a pish? I don't know what a pish is. They made a real big push on emphasizing the importance of being active in your own community. You need to be actively engaged in your own community, and so that church was out there talking about community and the importance of being active in your community and building relationships within your own community, within your neighbors, the people that are in your life, how important that is. And so here I was, leaving my community to go be a part of that church that emphasized the importance of community. So at first, at first I started to feel just a, just a little bit of low-key guilt over that, right? And then eventually that guilt turned into feeling a little bit hypocritical, because <laughs> here I am on the pastoral staff, and what am I doing for my own community? I'm leaving them so I can go be a part of that community. Okay. And so um, it really felt, I really did feel hypocritical at a certain point. The first message series I ever preached at that church was a three-part series on community. It's like, this, this isn't adding up. This isn't adding up. Now, here's the thing about Thornton, Glen Mills, when you get further and further away from Delco, more into to Delaware County, then into Chester County. Here's the thing. There's a lot going on out there in terms of the church. There's a lot of active churches. There's a lot of healthy churches. There's a lot of outreach. There's a lot of service. There's a lot of good stuff. Could they use more? Absolutely. Absolutely. But then I look at my own community. Like, What's going on here? Are there churches in our community? Yes. Is there a lot of good stuff going on? Well, there's some. But we need more of a church presence here in real Delcal. We need more of a church presence in my hometown in Inneborough, and really, this is where we need the church. And so for a while, there was this idea that would bubble up. I thought maybe this was from God, of maybe kind of planting a church, you know, maybe sort of kind of doing a church plant thing. Started to have this idea. Started to think maybe that's what we need to do. But whenever I would think about that, it's just so big. It's just so big. Like, I'm not a church planner. I'm just some guy. I don't know how to do this. I'm just a guy from, from Holmes. What do I know about church planting? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to do. And I was on a path. I was already being a pastor. I was already paid to be a pastor at some other church. And I had a cushy situation there, okay? It wasn't a perfect job, right? No church job is. Right, Sean? Anyway, it wasn't a perfect job, but it was cushy. I had a salary. I had health benefits. And I had all this stuff. I was like, how do I, how do I leave that? And I have family. How do I leave that and go 
Let's plant a church. And so I was thinking about this, and I used to take these runs. It was back in the day when I used to run. Don't do that anymore. In fact, I don't think runs are the right. It was more like a jog. It was like a degree above a power walk kind of a jog. I'm not very fast. <laughs> I used to do these runs, and I start in Norwood. I cross over Amos Land. I run down 13th. And then you run into Ridley Park, and you just go straight along the way. And I used to run past the Baptist church right over there, okay? I used to run by that Baptist church. And so I do that once or twice a week. Whenever I pass that Baptist church, I wonder, hey, I wonder what's going on in there. Because I'd never been in there before. And I always noticed that church because on the sign it said their pastor was Robert Zimmerman. I was like, Robert Zimmerman? Does that name mean anything to you guys? That's Bob Dylan's real name. I was like, oh, Robert Zimmerman. That's Bob Dylan's real name. So I just made a note of that. Fun fact, by the way. So I made a note of that, and uh, it was just, just one of those things, I kind of wonder what was going on there, so I'd take these runs, wondering what God has next for us, what we're supposed to do. Now, as you know, the first thing you do in a situation like this where you're not sure what to do, when you feel like God is calling you to something, is you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to pray. If you turn and take a look at that passage from Nehemiah that my mom read for us, thanks, Mom, Nehemiah chapter 1. In fact, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up now to Nehemiah chapter 1. And you can see what happens. Last week, we told you the story of what happens to Nehemiah. There he is. He's the cupbearer to the king. He has this position where he has the king's ear. Is it a high position? Is it a lowly position? Well, I don't know. He did have the king's ear. That's what we do now. And so he's there, and he hears this news that his own people are living in disgrace. The walls around the city of Jerusalem are torn down. And what does he do? He sits down, he fasts. That's something we can talk about at another time because that's important. He fasts and he prays. Take a look. This is before he does anything. This is before he talks to the king. This is before anything else happens. This is what he does. I'm going to start Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. Here he is beginning his prayer. Then I said, and here's his response. Here's his first response to how he's going to solve this problem. There's a problem. It weighs heavy on his heart. We need to do something. Here's his response. Then I said, Lord... The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He's saying, Father God, I'm praying your will back to you. These are your people. How do we end our prayers? Most of our prayers we say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we're taught to always pray in Jesus' name, and so that's why we put that little tag on at the end of the prayers, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. But when Jesus Jesus talked about the importance of praying in his name, he was more talking about praying praying for his name's sake, praying according to his will. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. It's like, I'm praying on behalf of your people. They're not just my people, God. They're your people, your servants, Israel. And he's praying day and night. By the way, these prayers went on for about four months before any action. Four months of prayers. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He's confessing not only the sins of Israel, but he's lumping himself. He's not saying, please forgive those sinful people who are living in disgrace and haven't bothered to get their act together. No, he's saying, forgive us. We have sinned against you. We have acted wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. 
Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Remember that, God, and that's how they were living, scattered among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commandments, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Remember, God, your own promise that you would bring us back and restore this nation. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delights in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, in the presence of the king. That's where it started. Here's Nehemiah. I got a problem that's bigger than I can solve. I don't have the resources. I don't have the means but I know someone who does. Oh, God, grant me favor with this king. God, grant me favor with this king. He has the means to make this happen. Grant me favor with this king. And so here I am, again, working for that church out there, living out here, wondering what can we do out here. The idea of church plant was there. I'm thinking, is there something less Big, less bold, less dramatic that I can do. Can I keep my cozy situation? Can I keep my job and still be active in my own community? I made some efforts to try to get like community Bible studies happening, reached out to different local churches, reached out to different pastors. Guess what? It didn't work out, right? And that's nobody's fault but my own. I blame myself for that. That wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be. That's not how you solve the problem. That was a half measure, right? So I try to do something and I try to avoid this thing because again, there's so much fear. I don't know how to do this. Right? And so one of the practical things that I started to do was I switched to my, my track. I was at school. I was doing a distance learning program through Liberty. So I studied church planting, made that my track. And so I thought, well, that, that ought to help. That ought to come in handy if this thing actually happens. And so you just start praying. God, if this is what you want me to do, you've got to make this clear. So praying about this, aware of the needs in our own community. You see it too, right? You see the needs in our own community. And then something happened. Something happened in 2010. Something happened that was eye-opening. In 2010, there were um, three students at Innerborough High School that took their own lives. And to me, these were just names in a newspaper. I didn't know them. I wasn't connected to them. But to some of you in this room, you do know them. And you love them. And I thought to myself at that point, something needs to change here. Now, it's a devastating truth that that's not an isolated incident. It's happened in the past, and it's happened since to see these students, these young people, before they even really start their lives to, to end them. Something needs to change. And so I thought, what can I? I'm just, I'm just some random guy from Norwood. Yeah, I work for a church out in Thornton. What do I do? <clears throat> and so I called the school. I don't know. I called the principal. Like, hey, my name is Josh Schaefer, and what can I do? Never called me back, all right? I, what's, what was he supposed to do, right? At the time, I felt very critical. I'm like, I can't believe they're not doing enough. It's a school. And I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't do enough. I don't know. I don't know what I expected them to do. Maybe I expected a callback. I don't know. What could I have done? I don't know. I, know. I had no answers to these questions. I just feel like something needs to be done here. So I called the local churches, sent emails out. What are we doing? What are we doing for these families? What are we doing? What are we doing? Not much. One of the churches had a prayer meeting. I'm like, okay. And again, I was hypercritical at that time, but I don't know what I expected. I just expected more. Something's got to be done. And yes, there was a lot of heartbreak and a lot of prayers and a lot of tears for the lives that were lost. I said, well, what about everybody else? 
What about all the other students? What about all the other parents? What about all the other people in this community? They need hope. They need a reason to go on. They need to know that there is a purpose for their lives. We need, in this community, we need hope. And it was around that time in 2010 that, that I put some words around the problem that I see here in our community. Two words, avoidance and apathy. Those are the two words, avoidance and apathy. I mentioned apathy last week. Apathy is a disease that runs rampant in the churches here in our area. And I'm not talking about the kind of apathy that's genuine, that's like, well, I just don't care. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a forced apathy, a chosen apathy. Because here's the reality. To be personally and emotionally invested in other people, in a community, is so difficult and so painful. To care is difficult. And so, so many people in our community, so many Christian people, so many churches, so many church leaders, we choose apathy. That's just too big for me to care about. That's too big. Trying to solve the problem of, I don't know, sin and despair and the sense of purposeless, that's too big of a problem. You know, local churches, we're great. We're great at Samaritan's purse boxes. We can do that. You want some canned goods? We can do that. What are we collecting? Undies and socks for somebody? We can do that. We can buy some undies. Great. Solving the bigger problems, addressing the bigger problems that that require a personal investment. We all shy away from stuff like that. It's so tough to care. And so at that time, I made up my mind, it's got to be this. It's got to be church plant. And so when I realized it's got to be church plant, I started praying, God, grant me favor with the kings. I don't know who the kings are. But I need some favor with some kings, because if I'm going to do this, I'm going to leave the church, and it was Holly and I, and we had one of our kids at that time, the oldest one, Lily. We had a family, and we had health benefits, and we had all this stuff. It's like, I need some favor from some kings if I'm going to make this a reality, because I don't know how to do this. Who were the kings? I had to figure that out. And so what do you do in this situation? So I was, again, I was going to a you know, distance learning program to Liberty University. That's a Southern Baptist school. Is that all right by you guys, Southern Baptist? Yeah, they're good. Anyway, it was a Southern Baptist school. Everybody has a different take on Southern Baptist. Oh, they're a fire and brimstone. Now, it wasn't my experience. I don't know. I thought they were a great school. I love that school. I'd highly, rec- I'd highly recommend it, by the way. It's a great school. That wasn't put it anyway. Anyway, so I was thinking, they're Southern Baptist. Maybe I should try to get on board with the Southern Baptist, and we could be like a Southern Baptist church, and I could be a Southern Baptist pastor. I don't know. Do I have to take on an accent or something? No, well, I, I can do that, whatever it takes. You know what I mean? And so I look into that. Well, could, could that be a possibility? Could that be our umbrella organization that sends this out? And so I, I just, that, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. I had some problems. I'm reading about the Southern Baptists. Like, okay, you know, the, as far as a theological perspective, I agree. But they, they have their pastors jump some, through some hoops that I wasn't comfortable with. The one thing is that we as a church would have to give money back to them at a certain point. And I certainly understand that, but I don't like that. That doesn't sit well with me. Not just as a pastor, but as a church member. I don't like the idea of giving my money and then not knowing where it's going. It's going to some other organization. Even, you know, and, and do we have any say? Do we have, any, I mean, what happens if they start changing their policy or changing their theology? or change, Do we have any say? Taxation without representation? Something like that. Not exactly, but I felt that way. I don't like that. When I give to the local church, I want it to stay in our local community. That's me. That might not be your thing, but it's me. The other thing, there's just some little things. Like, for example, I had to be baptized through, what's it called? The full-on Dunkaroo situation, immersion? It's not called a Dunkaroo. That's blasphemy, probably. I apologize. Don't, don't be offended by me. But you have to be fully submerged. You have to be fully submerged. It's like, listen, I think that's great. Baptism being fully submerged is the most symbolically significant way to do it? Absolutely. Because it's like the death and then the rebirth, and I get it. 
But that's not something that Jesus or Paul or God or anybody requires, so why are you requiring it? Now, you might think, Josh, that's a small thing. I'm like, yeah, 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 but, but these things add up. And so I was like, I don't think that's the king. Those aren't the kings that I need favor from. That's not the Southern Baptist kings. Let me see who else. And so one of these church, I went to some church plant conferences. One of these plant conferences I went to, they had uh, leaders from three different pl- church plant organizations at one conference. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a king here that can grant me some favor, right? <clears throat> and so I go to this conference, and one at a time, I'm like, no, no, no. There was one organization where their doctrine was just, just off. And if you guys have spent enough time with me, you know I'm a literal guy. I like to take things literally. I at least like to have the option to read the Bible literally. And one of these organizations is like, well, you can't, you can't interpret end time stuff literally. I'm like, yeah, you can. No. <laughs> and so there was another guy. He stood up and he was speaking. He's one of these guys. And listen, I, I, I'm trying to be polite here. But he stood up and speaking. He had like the tough guy vibe, the tough guy vibe. But it was a little too forced. You know what I mean? You know how some guys force the tough guy situation. They're not naturally tough like me. And so they try to force it. <laughs> Anyway, he had the tough guy thing, and he was talking about what it takes to be a pastor and what they're looking for before they send money to a pastor. Here's what they're looking for. You know, a pastor has to be a good manager of their own household, so what we do is we drive up and look at their lawn. How many weeds do they have? We go around, and we look at their cars in the parking lot. How junked up are their cars? Really? Is that, is that what God meant by managing your household? Was it about weeds and cars? It was funny, by the way, on lunch break to see all these potential church planters out cleaning their cars out, throwing out the stuff. I didn't. I left my Dunkin' Donuts trash in there. You can see it. I don't care. Because I don't think that's what God was talking about in terms of managing your household. Let me tell you something. Within two months of that conference that I went to, again, there was three, three organizations represented there. I said no to, I said no to all three of them. The one, I'm not going to name names because that's not necessary. But the one guy who spoke was the head of one of these organizations. It's a modern denomination, right? They don't call them denominations, they call them networks or or whatever, but it's a denomination. This guy was asked to step down from his church months after I heard him speak, months after, for some kind of indiscretion, some kind of accusations of a cover-up, something happened in the church and it was covered. I don't know if the accusations were true, I just know that he was asked to step down months after he was up there speaking about what it would take to be approved by him to be a church planner. Like, are you kidding me? A couple years later, the tough guy I mentioned was asked to step down from his church, which is polite for he was fired, right? You know what that means. Why? Because he was bullying members of his congregation. I have his book. I've never read it. I probably never will. Something's not right here. I'm searching for a king. I need some favor from a king. I need some money, some support. And that's why all these potential church planters gather at these conferences and things like that. We need two things. We need money. We got bills to pay. And you know what else we need? Validation. I need somebody to put their stamp of approval on my forehead. So when they come up to me and say, well, what makes you a pastor? I can point back to this denomination or that denomination or this network. I got to have validation and I got to get paid, right? And I get it. Yeah, money is a necessity in this life. But I'm concerned that so many church planters are jumping through hoops unnecessarily. Now, the validation thing and to be able to point back to a thing like you think about Jesus and how he was questioned by the religious establishment. And what did the Pharisees say to him? Who gave you the authority to do these things? Point to your rabbis. Point to your denomination. Point to whoever gave you your stamp of approval. What does he say? He essentially asks another question back to them, but he references back to John the Baptist. Really what Jesus says is, well, God. It either came from God or nobody, right? Isn't that how it works? 
And let me ask you a question in this room. Think about your neighbors. Think about the people who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Do they care about denomination? When they're looking for a church, if they actually decide to do that, are they going, well, it's got to be a Baptist, it's got to be a Methodist, it's got to be a Lutheran. You know, what, you, know who, you know who cares about that kind of stuff? Christians. People who are already saved. When Jesus went around preaching to the lost, preaching to sinners, did they care? Where do you get your authority? No, they just heard him speak the truth. And they saw the fruit of his life. That's what Jesus says. You judge a prophet by their fruit, not by their denominational affiliation. What are they doing? What are they saying? What are they teaching? Judge them by that. So still, I go back to my prayer with my boy Nehemiah. He's my boy here. What's his prayer? God, grant me favor with the king. I've got to figure out who the king is. There's a bigger issue here with all these different denominations, all these different networks, all these different ways to possibly become a church and be a church planter, the issue is this. I am, now don't tell anybody else this, all right? This is just for us today and the one person listening online. This is just for us. I'm not just non-denominational. I am anti-denominational. Here's what I know. Here's what you know, too, if you've read this. Jesus, when he prays at the Last Supper, his prayer is that we would all be one, that we would be united. And I get why denominations and modern denominations and networks have popped. I understand that. It's in an attempt to clarify things and answer questions. I, I understand that. But at a certain point, it becomes counterproductive. We're beyond the point of counterproductive. In the world I see, in the future I see, there's only two churches, the true church and the false church. The true church, where people love Jesus and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and they believe in the authority of Scripture, that's the true church. And then there's the false church that denies and waters down that. That's it. One church, that's what Jesus prayed for. And so the thing is, in terms of finding an umbrella network or a denomination, that was a big issue. It felt like this, this, even having a denominational affiliation is counter to what I think we need to accomplish here in Delaware County and across America and around the world. No more denominations. That's a battle we might take on one day. We'll see. We'll see. And so I'm left with the issue. Who's the king? God, grant me favor with the king. I don't know who it is. Let me tell you something about the church that I worked for, though. Let me tell you two things about them. First thing, they were rich. They were a rich church, at least in my opinion. All things are relative. If a church is sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's a rich church in my opinion, okay? And so they were, and so that's the way I saw it. Let me tell you something else about the church I worked for. They were Methodists. Do you know anything about the Methodists? Yeah, me neither. I've worked for two Methodist churches. I can't tell you too much about them because here's the thing. Every local church is different within the Methodist denomination. You might be wondering, what's the point of the denomination? And so am I. So anyway... There are Methodists, but here's what you need to know about Methodists. That denomination is one of the most rapidly declining denominations in the country, okay? Methodists don't plant churches. Methodists don't plant Methodist churches, let alone independent churches. And yet there's money there. But more importantly, there's relationships there. There were some kings at that church. So, okay, God, maybe this isn't going to be about getting a stamp of approval from somebody else, and I don't think we want that anyway. Maybe this has to do with relationships. What an idea. It's about relationships. So God, grant me favor with the king. I had no idea what to do next. I had no idea who to talk to. Who do I run this stuff by? And so while I'm praying, yeah, I'm planning too. And we pulled stats on the area and how many churches are in their area. And I'm doing this homework. I'm doing my homework. You got to do homework. It's kind of like when you start a business, you need a business plan, right? I'll just wing it. No, you got to do some research. How many churches are there? What's their mission statements? Who's the pastor? All this kind of stuff. 
um, pulled stats from the census. Also, there's a, a company in our, uh, an organization in, in Buffalo that sent us some stats for free. They help churches get started. And so I'm looking at all this information, and guess what I learned? I already, I'm from here. I know it already. But it was the validation of what's going on here and how deeply we need more churches in this area. And so I'm praying and I'm planning, what's, what do I do next? At that church, I basically had three bosses, which is a lot of fun, by the way. Have you ever had three bosses? At least, you know, if they all told me to do the same job, that would be one thing, but they weren't, okay? So I had three bosses. I'm like, do I go, who, do, who do I go to? Who do I talk to? God, grant me favor with the king. So I'm praying this prayer. I'm like, I've gone as far as I can go. I don't know what else to do. God, grant me favor with the king. And one day, the executive pastor catches me in the hallway and says, we should have lunch next week. And I say, okay. So next week rolls. I didn't even try to set up a meeting. He set it up with me, just reached out randomly. So we're there sitting at lunch. And he says to me, listen, he set up the meeting. We're sitting at lunch. He's like, okay, what are we supposed to talk about today? Are you kidding me? This is it. This is God setting the stage, granting me favor with a king, at least a potential king. I said, well, you know, this whole church plan thing I've been thinking about and talking about recently, I've actually been planning a lot more. And uh, I think it's time. And I got my first stamp. I got my first, yes, I got my first sign of support. Then I had to meet with all three of the kings of Orient. Anyway, I met with the three kings of the church, had to have a meeting with them. Said, listen, here's, here's the plan. Here's the vision. Here's the idea. Here's the need. And I feel like I got to do this. I didn't know what to ask for beyond that. I just didn't. I didn't know what to ask for, and they didn't know how to support me. It was new for all of us. And so I said, here's the deal. And they talked about, well, who's going to finance this thing? I was like, well, <laughs> that's where you come in, right? <laughs> so they didn't know what to do with that. And so long story, very long story, somewhat short here, eventually they decided we're going we're to send you off with, with $5,000 from the church. That was a precedent. Okay, it's, that's great, great, 5000 bucks. I don't know. How much are you supposed to have before you start? I don't know, 5000 But then the people in the church, not just from the church missions committee, but the people of the church gave another $5,000 just because of relationships, relationships and belief. And so $10,000 to start. That sounds pretty good, right? I want to tell you something else. A couple of years into our existence as a church, when Bethlehem saw that this thing was working, they sent another 20000 all right? So praise God for that. And I know, right? Praise God. It's almost as if he granted us some kind of favor with some kings, some people in positions of power and influence and wealth who had a vision for this. There are people that you've never met that wanted you to have a church. How about that? Isn't that special? Isn't that special? And beyond that, they also sent some people from that church felt God leading them to give on a regular monthly basis. We had checks come in for $100 or $200 or $300 a month, which carried us through those lean times. There was no plan. There was just God. There was no plan when it came to, to fundraising. There was just God. People used to ask me, how are you going to raise money for this? I said, well, Father God has deep pockets. And they say, okay, but really, how are you going to do this? <laughs> and that's, that's how it started. It was prayer. It was prayer. It was prayer. When we first started out, we were meeting in the beautiful Wyndham Garden Hotel, in Essington. Have you been? I recommend. It's a lovely place. So we were meeting there on Sunday mornings. That was like, we just got to get this thing going. We got to start. We got to meet somewhere. And they had a space for us there. It cost way too much money. It wasn't ideal. But whatever. We made it work for a time. We were there for six months, more than six months, I think. So we were there. Started out there. June 2012. Started out. And while we're there, we're looking for another place. They charge us over 300 bucks. I think it was close to 400 bucks per Sunday. That's insane. We're going to blow through that pretty quickly. Everything okay? Anybody parked over here along on this street? Yes. 
somewhere on this street. We got one. We've got two. We're all going to wait till you get back. No, you're fine. <laughs> all right, thank you. Somebody write that down. What's today's date? That's a first. I'm like, am I getting arrested? <laughs> they finally caught on. I don't know. Let's close in prayer. So anyways, we're at the Wyndham Garden Hotel, and the police didn't bother us there. And so we were there charging us over 300 bucks a week to make this happen. That wasn't going to work. We're going to blow through our money too quick, so we need to find another space. So what do we do? We had some options. Where do church plants begin? And so I had some ideas in mind. I've researched this. I studied it in school. Where do church plants begin? Plants begin. Well, schools. Churches can rent out schools. And so we applied, and we tried to get into schools, and every school said no. By the way, just a little fun fact for you, a school is not allowed to deny a church access to their property. It's illegal. It's against the law. Um, it's religious discrimination. They've, they've battled Supreme Court cases on this. In fact, the church in Glen Olden battled the Supreme Court and, and won. But they didn't want us there. They didn't want us in Edinburgh. They didn't want us in Ridley. Okay, that's fine. I get it. What are we supposed to do? Fight? Sue them? No, we're not going to do that. No, I get it. Would you want a church in your school? You know, churches are weird. You don't know what kind of church it is. You don't know. So I get it. I'm not going to push back. And so we're denied that. So that door was closed. By the way, I did keep knocking on that. But it was closed. And so that was a no. Where else do churches meet? I don't know. Uh, churches meet in other churches. Did you know that's a thing? You can rent other churches. And so I had my list of all the churches in the area, and I contacted all the churches that I thought, you know, had the same beliefs as us and believed in the Bible and believed in Jesus. And I didn't hear back from a one of them. Not one. Not one. One of the churches that I reached out to was really Park Baptist, and at that time, our buddy Bob Dylan, I mean Robert Zimmerman, he was the pastor there, didn't hear back from him. And so, all right, those doors were closed, at least for the short term. Where else? Okay, storefronts. Let's rent a store. Oh, my goodness gracious, those days were so tough. Such a big thing. I told you last week that I've devoted time to this seasonally because it is so tough. And so we went around. We had a real estate agent and showing us different properties, like too small, too small, too small, too small, too small. We can't grow. We finally found one. Woo! We finally found one in Norwood, which is where I'm from. I could walk there. Finally found one in Norwood. Wasn't ideal, but we could make it work. And the price was right. We found it. So here's the thing about being a church. We got special hoops that we need to jump through. So we had to get approval from the borough before we could move in there. So this would have been uh, January of 2013. Filled out our forms, submitted them to the borough. You know how fast the government works. You know how. Speedy quick, speedy quick, speedy quick. While we were waiting, that property, we lost out on it. Somebody else came in and swooped it up. Let me tell you what happened on that day. I was angry. I had had it. I had had it. And I let God know it. <laughs> I found out, I think it was a Tuesday morning that I found out, and I was at the house by myself, and I, out loud, you, do, you guys pray out loud ever? I prayed out loud that day, and I was angry, and I said, God, we're trying to find a place to worship you. It's your people. Your people are trying to worship you. We've been praying, grant us favor with the kings. And all the kings that run the churches said no. Grant us favor with the kings. And the people that run the schools said no. Grant us favor with the kings. And now like the kings of the borough have said no. You're closing all these doors on us, God. What's up? And so I spent most of the day angry with God, feeling sorry for myself, filled with pity. Now this just goes to show you how limited our perspective is and how much I had to learn and still have to learn. 
God was closing those doors for a reason. And so by, it was like after 11 o'clock at night, by the way. It's after 11 o'clock at night, and I've made it to the other end of this whole thing. Made it to the other end. And I'm starting to pray. Okay, back to square one. <laughs> God, whoever the king is, grant us favor with the king. Where else do churches meet? Okay, all right. We've tried storefronts. I've seen every place in this area. We've tried other churches. We've tried the schools. What about movie theaters? Well, there's none in our area. Movie theaters are another place. Wait a minute. What about community theater? What about the barnstormers? And so again, it was after 11 o'clock at night. I'm looking at the barnstormers. I'm on my computer. I send an email. Hey, we're a church. Could we rent space from you? I don't know. It's basically that short. The next morning, I get an email back, right? God, grant us favor with the king. God, grant us favor. I don't know who the king is. Grant us favor with the king. I got an email back. The lady who ran the theater at the time, she emailed me at like 2 or 3 in the morning. Some, you know, actors keep weird hours. Anyway, <laughs> she's like, no, we can totally do that. I'm like, what? What? It was that easy? It was that easy. It's not the king I expected, but God granted his favor with that king, with that leader. So came in the next day, negotiated the price. I mean, you know me. I'm a negotiator, right? They said 125. I said, let's make it 110. Oh, you know me. <laughs> that's not me at all. That's not me at all. I thought if I could save us 15 bucks a Sunday, let me drive it. So that's what we did. And we've been here ever since, 110 a Sunday. How about that? If we had ended up at that place in Norwood, how many of you, how many of you will we never have met? <laughs> Most of you, probably. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But because that we were here, we met you. Not only that, because we were here, we were close to there. So, one afternoon, I'm driving by, and I noticed that Robert Zimmerman's name is gone on that sign over there. And there's two other names. And I said, well, I didn't hear back from Zimmerman. Let me try these two other guys. Walter Spall and Jonathan Mock were the new pastors. So I sent them an email. I saw your service. I wonder if we can rent space. Wonder, here's, our, here's our list of beliefs and all this stuff. Now, in my mind, I had never met these guys. I'm picturing two old dudes, okay? Because up to, up to that point in my career as a pastor, every other pastor that I talked to was older than me, right? And that's a milestone moment when you walk and be like, wait, I'm the old guy? Oh. So anyway. <laughs> so these guys say, yes, let's meet. It was five years ago tomorrow. Five years ago tomorrow. Five years ago. It was the community day that is going on right now, which is why we had to move these cars. It was going on. And after worship, went over there, met these guys. I said, here's our situation. And they told me a little bit about their situation and how they kind of were uneasy about the pastor thing, and they got thrust into it, and they're happy to be pastors. But the last guy left, and the church just said, okay, you're our pastors now. And they're like, oh, okay. It's so like, well, let's just all merge together. They said this the first time I met. Let's just all be one church, and you can move into the parsonage with us. I said, well, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> they didn't know I had a family at the time. And I just, I'm like, God, grant me favor with the king. God, grant me favor with the king. I don't know what this means. I don't know what this is all about. Now, you might be wondering, if that conversation happened five years ago, why didn't we do it then? Well, there's too much. Too much. We're two very different churches, and we're allowed to be different, but it's not what we're going to do. Blend everything, put it all in a blender, see how it comes out the other end? No, it's not going to work. We have a specific vision for who we are as a church, a specific idea of who we're trying to reach. We can't just mesh it all together, and so I met. I just listened. I just listened. I just listened, and I left. I was like, I don't know what, I, I don't know what just happened, God. I was not expecting that, so I set up a time to meet with both of them. We had we, we set up a lunch, because um, that's what like, pastors do. So I'm just impersonating what I've seen other pastors do. You set up lunches. So I set up a lunch, and I met with the two guys, and we just started talking. And uh, here's one of my mistakes. <clears throat> you know how I can be a little bit blunt sometimes and insensitive? 
<laughs> All right, yeah. So we're sitting down talking. I was just trying to find a way to, ex- to express that just a straight-up merge was not going to work. I said, well, listen, guys, um, I don't want to merge the living with the dead. And um, I, I know. I literally said that. I'm sorry. I just thought we were all on the same page. I thought we were all the same understanding. Now listen, here's where you know God is in this. Because if God wasn't in this, shut down right then and there, right? But it wasn't. And I was able to explain a little bit more about what I meant. And then we set up another meeting. I was going to meet with their board for the first time. And our treasurer, Josh Peterkin, went over with me. And so they were still thinking about renting. So they were still thinking about renting. And so that was basically what the conversation was about. And I had an opportunity to explain, well, here's why that's not going to work. Here's why the renting thing wouldn't quite work, because we need to renovate the space. We need to make space for our children's programs, because they don't have that right now. We need to make space for handicapped facilities, because we don't have that right now. And so I don't think a rental will work, but, but we're open to other big possibilities. That's what I said. We're open. We're open. We're open. Okay. All right. And I walked away. A little bit later, they invited me to go over and preach cast some vision for what could be. So I went over and preached. And so this is now where we, I don't what year is this? This is still 20, I got to look up my notes. Still 2014. And I'm preaching. I was preaching for the first time about, you know, being a church, seeking after lost and what could be if we worked together and all that. So that happened and I walked away and nothing came of it. All right. And so that was that. Now, in the meantime, ministry is going on. In the meantime, things are happening. In the meantime, we're being a church and we're doing the stuff that a church does, but all this is happening in the background, and I'm just praying. You know what I'm praying. God, grant me favor with the kings. God, grant me favor with the kings. At face value, it seems so simple. we got people that need a building and a building that needs a people. Come on. It seems simple. There's all this stuff to work through and negotiate. In May of 2016... Here's another one on my mistakes. In May of 2016, they invited me back to another board meeting to talk about ideas of what we could do. And they still wanted to, they still wanted to rent. I've explained that. Like so I went over to a meeting, and I had a meeting there, and then I had another meeting right afterwards, so I had to kind of take off early. And so I went, and I said, well, how about this? How about, you know how, like, your people are dying and all that? And so how about, they literally, from the first time that I met with them as a board to the second time, one had passed away, literally, and one was about to move. And it's like, well, you know how you're having a t- trouble re- replenishing your leadership? What if, what if we just replenish your leadership? What if we do that? You know, we'll take over the church financially. We'll pay the bills, and we'll supply the leadership. Great. I waltzed in there like I was bringing them the answer to all their problems on a silver platter because that's how I felt. Well, we'll just take over the place. Problem solved. What's worse is that I walked out of there feeling great. Like, oh, that went great. You know what I mean? It was like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3. I felt great. <clears throat> And there were a couple people in the room that thought that was a good idea, and the rest did not. The rest did not. If it wasn't for God, it could have been shut down right then and there. And later I found out, months later I found out this, you know, that how much that hurt some of the people in the room. Of course it did. You're talking about people who had spent their whole life there, people who were baptized at that church, people who invested a lot, people whose parents and grandparents grew up in that church or founded that church, and I'm just, Bleh. come on. Listen, I'm learning too. This is the first time I've ever done something like this. And so that was May of 2016. And so after that happened, I just had to let time pass, let time pass, let time pass. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happened. I'm trying to just give you the bullet points here. August 2018. And so, again, we're just trying to build a relationship. We find times to go over there, find times to help with their yard sale, find times to have that, that barbecue that they have. Just get us in proximity to each other. August 2018, I go over for worship because I go over there for worship sometimes. Sometimes I take a break. I was over there for worship, and while I'm over there for worship, 
Um, actually, Sean came over with me. Sean Howe was there with me, and uh, I introduced him to people. And uh, one of the pastors said, hey, why don't you just come on over here? We can all be pastors. Yeah, let's do this thing. And he takes me aside and says, we're dying. We're dying. This is during the welcome and great time, by the way. <laughs> and then somebody else, one of their board members, come up to, comes up to me and says, we're dead. I'm like, well, there's got to be a way that we can work together. There's got to be a way that we can work together. And so I was invited to their next board meeting. And I learned some lessons at that time. <laughs> learned the error of my ways to some degree. And so I said to them at that time, I said, listen, here's what I see. Just what I said to you earlier. Here's what I see. There's two churches where we're weak, you're strong. Where you need help, we could provide. There's got to be a way that we can work together. And I just walked into the tail end of their meeting where they were talking about finances, how they need to pay bills and get certain renovations. And I said, what if we just did it? What if our church just did this stuff? So I introduced this idea of, well, what if, what if we own the property and you rent it for free? You have your own service. You get to keep your service and your pastor and all that. What if, what if we did something like that? And I said, I've got nothing written down. I've got no proposal for you. I'm just throwing an idea out there. And I let it sit, and we prayed, and I walked away. And I heard nothing back. Well, meanwhile, over here, things were getting crowded and bigger and bigger, and so we needed to figure out where we're going to move. And so I just kind of let that be. God, if that's it's whatever. At that point, I didn't have any stake in the game. I like, if it's going to be, it's going to be. So we move on, we get to about December 2018, we get to January 2019, and we start figuring out we've got to move somewhere, so we work on a plan, we're having meetings, we're trying to figure out where we're going to go next, and we're eliminating some possibilities, and I start scheming, because we realized if we were going to be somewhere, we might have to permanently rent somewhere, and I come up with this plan, you know me, I like plans, I like plans, sometimes I forget to pray, and I forgot to pray. Went through a season January this year, I was forgetting to pray, I was focused on plans, because I'm a planner. I was thinking, what if we stayed at the theater? What if we made an arrangement with the theater? What if we get rid of all the stage, you know what I mean? And we could fit more people in here. What if we had handicap accessibilities? What if we renovated the basement? What if we did that? What if we did that? And then we come up with this proposal, and before I submit it to the theater people, I go back to the Baptist one last time and say, well, maybe, maybe just so you let you know, we're going to do this and see if that maybe sparks something. So I'm planning and planning and sleepless nights. Because this is a problem that I want to solve for you. I, want, I feel like a failure when I can't solve this problem. When people come up to me and complain, I'm like, I hear it, I know, I know, I'm trying. And so I'm planning, I'm planning, I'm planning, sleepless night planning, sleepless night planning. Next morning I wake up and I feel God say, stop, stop. I tell other people, what do I tell other people? Let God do the heavy lifting. So I stopped and I prayed, God, grant me favor with whoever the king is. And I let it go. And I didn't think about it for the rest of the day. About three o'clock, my phone rings. It's Pastor John calling me. He's like, you guys still looking for a space? Oh, it's funny you should mention that. We set up a time to meet. And I said, I, let's, let's, let's learn from our mistakes. So we set up a time to meet. We talked for a while. And we just talked. Just building a relationship. Just talked about life and relationships. He had a girlfriend at the time. They weren't engaged. They're engaged now. So how's that going? We talked about that. We talked about family stuff. Shared church war stories because that's what senior pastors do when we get together. And at the tail of our, end of our conversation, what about renting? I said, listen, the rental thing Here's where it's not going to work. I said, I love to, there's got to be a way, it's just the rental thing can't work. I, you know, and I explained to him, I was like, listen, we got a church of people, and I'm trying to gain their trust. We don't have an umbrella, we don't have a denomination, I can't, it's too vulnerable of a position to be in. I mean, what happens if, you know, God forbid, what happens if the church closes? What happens to us? We've got no stake in it, we're too vulnerable. He's like, no, I understand, I understand. So we set up another time to meet with Pastor Walter as well, and so the three of us met, we all met downstairs here at the theater after worship on Sunday. And we just kept going over. What could we do? What could we do? What could we do? And we prayed about it. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And uh, at the end of that meeting, Pastor Walter, he prayed. He said a prayer for us all. Just God, whatever's going to glorify you, let that happen. 
So we finished praying. I said, guys, before we leave, um, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry for earlier. I'm sorry for back in the day. I know I was too harsh. I know I was too blunt when I came in there with all these plans. And we all laughed about it, right? And he's like, okay, everybody had a good sense of humor. We're just having some real conversation. We laughed about it. And Pastor Walter said to me, he's like, you know what? You told us what we needed to hear, but before we were ready to hear it. And so that was that. Now, Pastor Walter was planning a transition out of the church at that time. That happened kind of faster than we anticipated, but he made his way on, and, and that worked out okay. God bless him. He's on to, to other things, and so it was just Pastor John and I, and it kind of worked out because to work with two pastors at a co-level was kind of weird. It's kind of like on the office when they promoted Jim and they were both co-managers. It's not ideal. It was fine. It worked fine, but, but it was nice to have one point person, so John and I kept talking, and by the spring of this year, we're working through some proposals, working through some ideas of what could happen, and time had passed, and relationships had grown. And so we were at a place where we were talking about, let's put pen to paper and let's come up with some ideas. And we came up with a lot of different options, and our board has seen some of these different options that we've come up with through time. How can we make this work? And maybe an eventual merge, and maybe you, know, you keep your parsonage, or whatever it is. And eventually, we, just, we landed on the, the biggest, boldest proposal, which was to transfer all the property, parsonage included. Did I mention there's a parsonage included? Parsonage and church building. Transfer them to Hope and let Ridley Park Baptist have their own worship services here with their own staff. That was the biggest, boldest plan, and John presented it. As I said last week, John presented that, and so John went to his board, and before he went to his board, what was I praying? God, grant his favor with these kings. And the board approved, and the board had to take it, like I mentioned last week. It was a congregation-wide thing, and so what was I praying when I went to the congregation? God, grant his favor with these kings. And now here we are. They've said yes. This next step has happened. What are we supposed to do now? What do we do next? That's a good idea. <laughs> it's time to pray again. God, grant us favor with the kings. There's a lot of work to be done. Have you been there? There's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space. I was very encouraged to hear that applause, and there was a standing ovation last week. All right, there's work that needs to be done. Can we keep that applause going? We need more favor with more kings. I don't know who they are yet. We need more favor. With, you know, we're going to need favor with the people in the borough, the borough offices and all those people in the store committee. God grant us favor with them. When we come in, we're going to need all kinds of favor. <laughs> we need lots of yeses to make this happen. It's going to take money. Yeah, it's going to take money. I mean, that property is valued about $2.5 million. $2.5 million God has given to us. Might take another half million to fix it up. Is that number too big? 500,000. I'll say it that way. Maybe more. Maybe more. Maybe less, depending on the volunteers. And listen, we don't have to do it all at once. Relax. We don't have to do it all at once. But we're going to need favor with some kings. Not, and it's not just money. We need people who will, who will give up their time and do the work. We need favor with some kings, people who are skilled to do things that I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. You can't do it on your own, but we're in this together now. God, Grant us favor with the kings. You've brought us this far. Thank you for sitting and listening to this very long story and not nodding off. Thank you. You know why I told you this story? Because we need to remember how God has been in this all along. What we see when Nehemiah gets to the wall and when they face trouble, when they face opposition, when they were building the process and they face opposition, Nehemiah has to remind them, listen, remember how God has brought us this far. And I want you all to remember how God has brought us this far against the odds brought us this far. If he carried us this far, if he's given us this much, he'll carry us the rest of the way. And so we pray. Before we leap, we pray, God, grant us favor 
with whoever these kings are. Whatever we need to make this happen. I'm going to ask you to do something. You know, sometimes I stand up here and I challenge you. Let me give you a challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for a favor today. This isn't a challenge. Take out, if you would, you have this little prayer card in your bulletin. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to make a commitment to pray this prayer every day for a week. And when you come back next week, I'm going to ask you to pray it for another week, okay? <laughs> Would you commit to this? Would you pray this prayer? Now, some of you, you might not be comfortable with like, well, I don't like scripted prayers. Well, just use it as a guideline. That's fine. I understand that. Would you be willing to pray this prayer? Dear God, break my heart. That's where it started with Nehemiah. That's where it needs to start with us. Break my heart as your heart breaks for my 60,000 neighbors. And specifically, break my heart for the lost people in my life, in my circle. We want to thank God. We thank you for the promise of eternal life to all receive you as Savior. We thank you for giving us not only salvation, but a way to live in this broken world. A wise way to live. Jesus, we thank you for giving us giving this church our opportunity to share your gospel with more people in this new facility. We thank you for the sacrifice. You better believe it. These people, you know, a specific, listen, next time you see Pastor John, shake his hand and thank him. He has been our advocate. He came out of that basement after we met, and he said to me, we've got to get your kids out of this basement. I said, you're on our side. Praise God for him. Thank, and, and not just him, but all the leaders. Thank you for the people of this church, First Baptist Church of Ridley Park. Thank you for their sacrifice. Throughout our church's history, you have given us favor with many kings, peoples, and people in position of power, wealth, and influence who have contributed to the life and growth of this church. Once again, we're asking you to grant us favor with the kings, people that have the means to rebuild and renovate this property that you have given us. Here's what's up. This prayer starts tough, and it ends tough. It starts, God, break our hearts, and here's how it ends. Lord, show me how I am a king. There are kings in this room, people who have the skill set, the financial means to make this happen. Lord, show me how I am a king. Show me how you would have me sacrifice in order to rebuild this church property. Man, oh man, we love stories of sacrifice when it's somebody else doing it. Now it's our turn. Would you pray that prayer? Show me how you would have me sacrifice to rebuild this property and increase the presence of your gospel in this community in Jesus' name, according to his will. Amen. Would you pray that prayer? God's brought us this far through a series of miracles. He's worked through a series of people, and he will take us the rest of the way. We can count on that, but we need to be a people of prayer. We need to pray over this. Let's pray right now. God, we do thank you. We thank you for putting us in this position where we are ready to take another leap, and that's what this is, God. It's not our first leap. It's another leap. This might be the best leap yet because we're doing this together. This isn't one person. This isn't a small group of people. This is a church-wide leap. We're thankful for this opportunity. And so, God, I would ask that you would show each one of us how we are kings, how we have the means, the, the ability, the, the skill sets to make this next thing happen. And, God, grant us favor with the kings in our community, with the people who, who approve permits, with the people who say yes to things. Grant us favor with those kings. Father God, we thank you in advance for how you will rebuild and restore this property. We thank you in advance for how much your word will be spread through this new building. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.